Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with our newly minted relationship with Sate Corporate Training. After 18 months and hundreds of conversations with the leaders, innovators, and the movers and shakers in our city, two things have become abundantly clear. The future of work has arrived, and it always has been all about the people. So whether you're an individual looking to upskill or an organization looking to reskill an entire division, SAIT has the team, the curriculum, and more importantly, the advisors to partner with you to build what you need to adapt for the road ahead. Do yourself a favor and take the time to learn a little bit more. Check them out at www.sate.ca slash corporate training. And more importantly, give them a call, have a consultation, and find out what SAIT can do for you. Hello and a warm collisions. YYC, welcome to my friend Cheeto Bavarira. How are you, Cheeto? Hello, Tyler. Nice to see you. Thank you for coming back on the show. You and I, I was going to look back, I think it's close to a year ago when you and I first came on the show to talk about some of the racial issues that were happening, diversity, inclusion. You know, I will openly thank you again for being such a a safe place for me to be curious and to lean in and to admit what I didn't know and to maybe find out things I didn't even know that I didn't know. So thank you huge for that. And really excited to have you back on to talk about another topic, which I know you're incredibly passionate about. And I think during COVID, uh, whether, whether we knew about it or not, we're all experiencing it, but the concept of digital wellness. So Mm -hmm. I'm just going to turn it over to you and let you unpack that one because I think everyone can kind of jump to their own conclusions quickly when they hear those words. Oh, thank you so much, Tyler. Um, Yes, um, digital wellness, we are coming out of a post-COVID world. And I don't know about you or some of the people listening, but we were on our phones, right? We were on our phones to find out what's going on with the news, with COVID, remote work, ordering food. Um, I think they said that, um, you know, we grew exponentially in terms of just our dependency on our tech during um, COVID. So if you're like me, you kind of felt a little bit digital overload, digital distress, digital fatigue. And now that we're going back to work, it's very, I'm curious now are people unlearning what we did for the past year because we're so reliant on our tech. And I think now people are asking this question on what is digital wellness? Um, what is this thing? And I think just as we take care of our bodies, our nutrition, another pillar that people need to be mindful of is taking care of our digital wellness because we are on our tech just as much as we sleep now, more than we eat. And I think now we're getting aware of um, maybe some bad tech habits. So I'm hoping this is something that people are talking about and wanting to learn more about. I think I love what you said, you know, are, are we unlearning? And, and, you know, now that the world is sh- well slowly shifting as, as this will air in a few weeks, but we're sitting in, in the middle of a, of a lockdown across the country, whether you're in Ontario, Maritimes, as we talked about earlier or in Alberta, are we unlearning? I think one of the challenges as well, not only has it become a means to an ends in terms of functioning in our life, I'm going to be bold to say a lot of these platforms are very well designed to actually be be chemically addictive to your brain. Like there is a thing where it goes beyond learning and unlearning. There's an addictive process to that little tiny drip of dopamine we get when we get a like or a click or see a photo or watch a funny bear in a hammock video that someone sent me yesterday, which was quite hilarious. I have to admit it was quite funny. Um, but to your point, if we're not aware that it might be a problem or that it's actually, I'll, let me rephrase that. Is it causing detriment in our life that we're not even aware of versus saying, is it a problem? I think there's a lot of steps to that. So from your perspective, this is something you've gone down the road of, not only something you believe and you're passionate about, but you've done some formalized learning around being a, to be able to guide people through this. Is that correct? Yes. Um, I stumbled onto this certification. It was the first of its kind with the Digital Wellness Institute, and it was a digital wellness certificate. And it looks through um, these seven pillars of digital wellness. And it goes from productivity, environment. We look at our role in wellness in terms of communication. We'll go into physical health, mental health, even quantified help, which is this, you know, we're using a lot of our tech to take care of our health and even just our digital citizenship. How do we advocate for ourselves as more of our life and information on tech? So I was really lucky to be one of the first people to get well-versed in um, digital wellness. And when I say digital wellness, what it means is the optimum state of health and wellness while using our tech. So that can look different for you and I. So I'm not going to say this is what you need to do, but it's what is your optimum state of wellness as you're mindfully using your tech every day? Because we're not here to demonize tech. 
We're not here to do that. This is kind of going against the grain of the social dilemma, which may be amplified um, tech use from the macro level. I want us to think about at the micro level, what can we do if the onus is on us to really mindfully use our tech? Because it starts with us. We can't be championed for all these tech people, but what can we can take control of? Because we are in control. You are in control. And how do we get control of our tech? Because it's not going anywhere. It's, if anything, it's going to be very much part of our lives. So I like your comparison to-, to the social dilemma where I think, and also let's mm-hmm. be honest, it makes for good TV. They very vilified it. And, you know, if you're not paying mm-hmm. for the product, you are the product. I think I've heard that yes. repeated by like 30 people in my in my circle. Hey, did you see the social dilemma? And the next thing they say is that line. Yeah. It was like, it was good content because it was repeatable. It was impactful. It was the kind of the boogeyman style a little bit like, Ooh, there's a demon here. We can put a face to it, but we don't really know. I really mm-hmm. like what you said as someone who spent a lot of time in health and wellness, there's always like, what's the magic answer? What should I do? It's like, well, let's talk about what your goals are and what works for you. That individualization, I think also as humans, sometimes we're like, well, just okay, jump to the end. Just give me the answer. But you're right. Mm-hmm. Someone might, you know, I've had friends say to me, like I'm doing, you know, Sundays for Sunday free phone. And I'm like, I would think about it and go, mm, I'm not doing that. But on Sunday, I don't have a problem putting my phone down. So just identifying you hear strategies. So I guess from a digital wellness perspective, I would assume the first step is really taking a good look at yourself and going, where do I think this is adding or detracting value? Like what's a bit of the formula that you would start with as an individual who's now all of a sudden is perked up in their chair, listening to this podcast going, Oh, do I have a quote unquote problem? And I don't even know if that's the right terminology. Mm. Great question. And I've actually broken it down to these three simple containers. I think people will help compartmentalize this. I look it down to looking at your digital habits, looking at your digital boundaries and digital distancing. Mm, So when you talk about habits, I love James Clear because he teaches us about habit stacking. And this is where we look at our beliefs and behaviors. Because you know what? Maybe somebody, a busy mom, can't be off their tech on Monday, on Sunday nights, right? Because maybe they're planning. Maybe that's a work day and that's fine. But you got to look at your digital habits and what works. I don't check social media on weekends. That's my boundary because I'm on, I'm not on Clubhouse. That is my time to refuel. So that's my habit. So look at your habits, your boundaries, your tech vices, and don't be ashamed of them. Just know yourself. The next James, Just to be clear, James Clear, that's he wrote Atomic, is that Atomic Habits? Yes, okay, yes. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought. I haven't read it. I have a few friends recommend it, but yeah, I always want, so if anybody's making your quick book list, I've heard good things about that book, actually. Mm-hmm. And when I say habits, I look at it internal, external, and cost. Like internal, how does it make you feel? Look at your mindset because there's shame that comes with it. So look at the internal feelings. Look at the external, and Amir Ariel talks about triggers, like what triggers you. So when my brain is trying to focus on work, what does it do? It looks for a distraction. I pick up to look at Instagram. I know my triggers. I know when I want to look at Instagram because I don't want to finish this last proposal because my brain is saving me because our brain is wired to protect us from working hard and even thinking for long hours, our brain is saying you need to break. So what do we, how have we coached ourselves to recover is by looking at social media. So that's what social media, um, the digital space is not the enemy. It's how we behave to it. It's what we have done to it. So let's be mindful of that. Your brain is protecting you when you're trying to grab something because your your brain saying rest and what do we do we don't rest so look at your habits you're right because the, the, the illusion of looking to social media like i need that little break but it's actually not a break so it's, it's not. not actually getting you you know your brain is craving something it's learned that because of the the dopamine and the hormonal response i get yes. from seeing a like it feels like a break but it's actually not which then contributes yeah. to that longer fatigue okay that's it i like that frame that's interesting thinking mm-hmm. about it that way The next pillar is your digital um, boundaries. And this is what I like workplace cultures to really think about. We're working at home, so boundaries are blurred. So, Tyler, you have a team. So things you should be thinking about, it's like, wow, we are blurring. If I know that my my staff don't have good digital habits, you got to be thinking of how do we make these what we call invisible fences? How do we make them protected um, that they feel like, they can work efficiently. So a visible fence may be a communication charter and agreed saying, hey, we don't expect you to to email us after five o'clock. You can write your email, but don't send it until 9 a.m. That's something I do with my clients. They'll never, unless it's an urgent communication, they'll never get an email from me after five. I will never do that to client because what am I doing? I'm getting them to feel like they need to check their emails. That is something that I consciously have my business that no one, unless it's urgent and important, will get a late email. That's a cultural thing because we want people to go to bed knowing there's not an email to check. 
and then we'll talk. I like I that you said urgent that. and important because those two things, mm-hmm. all, and, and that's another podcast of urgent versus important and how we blur those lines these days. I like how you quantified both. <laughs> can we, I have a time hack for that. Can we come back and close that loop? We I can, really yes, good, yes, please. please. I, I love important. circling back. That's my favorite, that's my yes. favorite kind of conversation. Urban versus and, important. Um, no, noted. So can, <laughs> so communication charters like you should put a, a communication charter of how do we communicate as a team how do we get people to feel that they don't have to be what we call always on culture always on culture means i always have to be online um we pick up our phones 96 times a day um people at work check emails 200 times a day that is a lot of times i don't want my team to be focusing on the wrong thing like emails that's not what I'm trying to pay people to do with their time is to email. How can we make these invisible fences that people feel like they are working for the role they are in and not these administrative things? So invisible fences protect you. Um, something like putting my phone away in my drawer when I'm working, when I'm doing, when I, use, when I do my, okay, I'm going to tell you the productivity thing. <laughs> I do my urgent, my important, not urgent, um, urgent, urgent, and important. So when I'm doing my level um, 10, urgent and important, phone is away. I'm in deep, what we call deep work, which is another great book. Uh, I forgot on the author, Cal Newport, deep work. Mm-hmm. Very good. And when we're in deep work, when I'm writing a proposal, I'm doing a really high deliver for Tyler's team. I know that I'm in level 10. I'll put a, a post a sticker on my computer. So, you know, my partner, your roommate knows that I'm in deep work mode. Your children, even putting a party hat. They do this with kids. When they're in deep work, you can have your kids put a party hat saying, oh, you're in deep work. No distraction. When mommy's wearing this hat. Mommy's in deep work mode. You know, like wait until mommy takes the hat off. This is how you can have your um, family and people around you know this is deep work mode. I really don't want any distractions. Well, and what, then, what a great way to teach boundaries as well, which is a whole other yes, conversation. Yeah. With yourself, with your team, if they can have a color code, like I'm in deep work mode. And then when you're in 50%, you're doing important tasks, but they're not urgent. So this could be emails. I batch, I have a certain time to go through all my emails. I'm lucky I do have a role where I can batch that. But you, you should think of now this is a container of 50% brain capacity. I'm not in deep work, but they're still important. Um, checking your calendar, going to Slack. Those are important, but not urgent. Have a time for that. And then the non-urgent, non-important can be cleaning your house, doing dishes now, because those are stuff we have to do. Um, maybe working out is your important, but not urgent task. So you should look at all the tasks and saying, which ones are my deep work, my 10, 100%, which are my 50% tasks, and my urgent, not important. I mean, I can do this in autopilot. I don't even need to think about it, like doing laundry, cooking, but I still have to do them because I got to feed myself and my children, right? Um, That's something I have to continue doing. So I like to compartmentalize my tasks into those three categories. I, like, I really like the ba- the batching yeah. concept, which forces, which just inherently means you're being deliberate about what you're doing. Yeah. And I know my day, I go into deep work. I know my deep work time is first thing in the morning. I can write, pump out an article. I can do something as soon as I wake up. That's my deep work mode. So if you can look at your day, what is your deep work hour block? Mine's before I eat. That's why I don't do, I do calls at a certain time because I'm like, I'm just going to be tired after I eat. So as a culture, how do you have digital boundaries saying, do we have calls right before lunch so people can be off? Um, what kind of boundaries do we have to protect each other? So that's the second pillar that's very important. Um, the next thing is digital distancing. Um, it's not important for us just not to be on our tech because I think we've gotten a culture where we don't know how not to be on. So how do I now foster things to be more analog? Like just even not having your phone as your alarm clock. Now we're bringing back the analog phone because we don't want to look at a screen. We don't want to now be like, I'm looking at my phone. Notifications. Someone texted me. Someone commented in my post. And then what happens? We feel like we have to respond. So um, it's not enough to have digital habits or boundaries. The most important thing is that you have ways to actually enjoy not being on. So hobbies, um, seeing friends, connecting, um, we call, um, just being alone with your thoughts, which is uh, something that we have forgotten how to do is being comfortable um, being alone, not even meditating, just sitting and just saying, I'm not doing anything that needs a dopamine hit. Um, that's a really, really hard thing for a lot of us to do is just sit alone with our thoughts and not do anything. Something I'm learning to do. <laughs> Cause I like learning, I, I, learning, learning. I think there, I think there is a shift also in our society where like 
being active and, you know, I saw a great post a couple of years ago, but it sticks with me, like stop the glamorization of busy in Western culture and not just Western culture, but I can speak to it cause I live in it, how busy you are and how many, you know, squash games and meetings you got in before seven in the morning, you know, Ariana Huffington had a lot of, I've read of some of her information, the, like her path around sleep and burnout and talking about being in that, in the Washington scene where it's a badge of honor of how many things you have done before eight in the morning. Like we glamorize not sitting still, like you just said, like that's something I think it's becoming more prized, but man, we have a lot of years of busy, 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 busy makes us some badge of honor by default. <laughs> I, I just worked with the clients cause I'm a marketer. I worked with the client's marketing strategy and she is working as a life coach and she's working with lawyers, a very burnout yeah. culture. Yeah. She works with corporate law and we were doing her strategy. And one thing we, I talk about with a lot of my clients who are going into this kind of practice is the burnout culture and that busy badge does not work in entrepreneurship. That busy badge does not work in certain settings because you're not in alignment with your purpose. And this is why you have unhappy people. When you're glamifying this toxic productivity, it's toxic. Let's burn ourselves or I build this many hours. You know, so-and-so is up until six in the morning doing this report as a company, as a workplace culture you should not want that you should not have your people like dying for you <laughs> and you know detriment to their personal health their family um to work for you that is not a culture i think that's going to be um in alignment in future with seers coming millennials that culture is going to be very obsolete and i think the people who are going to do well in terms of of Hiring people and retaining are people who are going to say that's not part of our culture. That's why digital wellness is going to be such a pivotal piece in people's workplace culture because people are not going to care about money. They're going to care about lifestyle, especially because I'm working at home, especially yeah. if there's going to be this remote work hub. People are going to care more about their lifestyle when they're taking up a job and it's not just going to be monetary because if I'm too busy <laughs> to enjoy my money and my lifestyle, I don't want to work for you. And we're seeing that shift. That's why a lot of people are going into entrepreneurship People have six-figure jobs. They're like, this is not the culture. This is why entrepreneurship is so up because people know that the money is not enough. They actually want the lifestyle. And that's what we're all chasing are to work with places where it means something and they align with our lifestyle. This is what people want meaning and purpose. And lifestyle is at the crux of that, that I'm so aligned with the way I work. The way Listen to you talk. It's interesting because it feels like, you know, we've got a, we've got a set of beliefs that, you know, let's just take the last 30, 40, 50 years of those burnout cultures and prized by, you know, how much you could work and how much weight you could carry on your back to save, to save the day. Then we had a bunch of digital tools came in that to a certain extent at one point promised us all this autonomy and freedom and free time, but they were essentially used by, with the same belief structure as before, like, oh, wow, wait to see what I can get done. But now that when the belief changed, those same tools that kind of make us feel sometimes like we have a tethered to our tech when used properly can also then deliver on the original promise of giving us more freedom. It's just, you know, it's back to how we pick up that tool is what I'm, is what I'm hearing. Mm. And we're in that transition that COVID has really brought to a forefront for sure. It's shined a big spotlight on, on it and the mm -hmm. exaggerated, you know, and working from home, I think you're right. It absolutely, it shifts your whole view of what a, what, what a good day even means or looks like. Yeah, because purpose is everything. Um, with this client, we're talking about her purpose is her pillar. And people are like, what is purpose? Purpose is your story. Purpose is when someone looks at their life saying, this is how I imagine waking up and living my life. And it's not responding to emails. It's not worrying <laughs> over Slack messages. That's not one's like fairy tale life. It's not. And I think more people are asking themselves those hard questions. And if it's not in alignment, meaning, um, you know, it's not, I'm not, you making value-based decisions. Um, this is not my purpose. Um, this is not how I live my life. I think this is what's making workplaces unhappy. If you're a workplace where mental health is on a rise and people are feeling stress and what is stress? Stress means that I am operating at a high level where I'm not refueling. You meaning if you have, are in a work, if your workplace are stressed, meaning you have not done a good job of having a plan to refuel. We can all operate at a stress and it's feeling like you don't have enough resources to refuel yourself. That's what stress is. You can't operate at a high level of stress. We can all have stress, but we can't be up here all the time. We have to have a way to come down and refuel and people don't have that curve. You're not thinking about, great, we just did a great project. My, my team delivered on this amazing thing. How am I refueling them? How am I getting them back at 100? 
And one of the best activities I, I heard was Brene Brown, and she was talking about communication with partner. It's saying to somebody saying, hey, I'm stressed. Instead of saying, hey, I'm stressed, you ask them, what level of stress are you? I'm at an 80, and I need you to top up a 20 for me. To your partner, to your colleague, hey, I'm at a 100, I need someone to top up my my stress levels. I'm at a 50 right now, you need to be the next 50 for me because I'm so stressed. And I think we need to stop just saying stressed, but asking how can I refuel you? What does refueling you look like? Does that mean a break, feeding the kids? I'll do bedtime. I will do the research for this project. When people saying stress, we should be saying, how do I refuel them? How do I make them come down and refuel themselves? I really like the concept of, you know, the lost language. It's like, how are you? I'm good. Well, I'm curious by good. What do you mean? Mm. It's no different when you hear the word stress because you say stress. I have an immediate definition that might just be today's definition. You have your definition, but going, well, what do you mean? How can we top that up? Or how can I help you? Or how can we offset? Hey, how can I take some of that? Not letting it just be the word that floats around Mm -hmm. with an implied meaning of actually taking the time to unpack it in a respectful way. I really like that. So much of our language is lost in what I think it means versus what you meant when you said it. <laughs> and but that takes a lot of, you also need an environment of, of safety, psychological safety to be able to uh, ask that close questions. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you know what? Um, there's a case to be made that um, the reason why Google and Slack are the best workplaces to work is not because of how much tech they have. It's not because of all these perks, um, you know, in Silicon Valley. It's the fact that they have so much psychological safety. And what that means is that their teams feel so safe to say this is what they love and hate about the work, the environment. And that's what keeps people that's what keeps client retention um team retention is the psychological safety so people are thinking oh my my team is stressed or i'm stressed i need new tools we need new zoom we need all these things to be connected it's like you need psychological safety that is what you need if you are having a lot of mental health sick days and stress it's like how can we make our workplace more safe so our team Our remote workers can say, hey, this is the issue I have. Maybe it is your communication style. Maybe it is um, the the feeling of needing to always be on culture. Psychological safety is the beacon of of fostering workplace culture, especially a digital wellness component. It is not how much tools can we have to be more connected. How safe do our team feel that they hear their concerns heard from top down, down, whatever way. I hate having the top down approach, but can we all say our feelings, whether it's on anti-racism Yeah, whether it's anti-racism, discrimination on any topic, does everyone feel that I can say what I want to Tyler, to the admin, Mm -hmm. to HR, and be safe, and I'm not going to be chastised or be the outsider for voicing my concerns, and that's going to be key to um, any workplace in the future. It's that psychological safety you're talking about. Are you seeing, obviously you started off by, hey, this is about the individual and about really owning and understanding where you are in your journey. In some of the work that you're doing around digital wellness and with the different clients you work with from individuals to larger organizations, are you seeing, are, are we, are, are, are we getting it at a disproportionate level? Like, are you seeing companies start to ask the questions and start to pose it? Are you seeing it more as a response because employees are going, no, no, I demand it? I'm just curious the balance you're seeing around because like everybody's on their version of this journey, right? <laughs> and I think this is how we got in this conversation because I got on the phone with you and I was like, Tyler, you got a remote team. Is digital wellness on your agenda? That's and you're exactly like, how uh, you know. <laughs> No, Trudeau, we're just trying to get remote work done. And I love that answer because it really got me into the mind of teams and remote workers. Because as a marketer, I know my my people are not solution aware. They're not saying we need digital wellness, right? We are marketers. We know people are leading with their problems, right? So you're saying, how do we acclimate remotely? We need more Zoom. We need more tech. We need all this communication stuff, which is like more tech on tech on tech. Because we're remote, but people are not showing up to like our initiatives, like our Zoom happy hours. People are not engaging. People are not are really struggling with being at home. The, the Zoom happy hour is a really good example of something that fell off really quickly as just yeah. another meeting. As another, but we're going to have and, fun, forced fun. No, not more. You know, we, we just recently just like we had a town hall and I before it and it was so simple, but I said, hey, it's Friday afternoon. This is not a town hall where you need to be on a video chat. Go for a walk in the park and put in your headphones and go on your phone. And it was so small of a gesture, but it was the effort of doing it. And the feedback to the team was like, thanks for giving us permission. 
Because, you know, if the CEO is hosting a town hall, I must be in front of my computer. It's like, no, actually, you don't like need this. to at all. It's totally fine. Yes, exactly. <laughs> With a perfect Zoom background and every, your tie on. No, definitely not. But it was amazing how just me getting reminded from some of my team of like, oh, yeah, but we just need to give permission because people yeah. are going to assume a certain thing. And it was such a small gesture, but it made a noticeable impact. And we see the mm-hmm. feedback like, hey, thank you. It's the first, you know, last Friday, as we all know, and whether you're in Toronto or Calgary, it was beautiful out. Last thing you want to do at two in the afternoon on Friday is sit in front of your computer more than you've already been doing all week. <laughs> Right. That's so important because what you did is something I do with my team. When we have calls, we call them genius walks. When we're starting a project, we all, and that's why I love Clubhouse because you can have everyone in a closed room. It's all audio. We all have a notepad, a Google notepad. We all see each other's notes and it's genius walks. That's what we call them. And we are out walking, especially in summertime. The man is like, let's go out walking or another client. She does transformational events. Everyone's going into this transformational um, space because we know we are changing and she was looking at doing events more transformational meetings so instead of having a meeting doing a genius walk ha- instead of a mentorship program or leadership program having a dinner with mentors and actually eating bringing like let's eat everyone's gonna have food we're all gonna eat our favorite food and we're gonna have a meeting over food you know thinking of ways that can bring us together and that's more relaxed because what happens in Zoom, we're concentrating. Zoom fatigue is because we're our body's tensed, our eyes are tensed. You can't look disengaged. So our body and our senses are so heightened to look more engaged than we would in a meeting. So this is why people are even more exhausted because we're like this. So even saying to your team, if you're talking, turn your Zoom on. If you're not, you can turn it off. Just give people time to relax because after an hour and everyone's like, I'm not talking. And I'm sitting up and my eyes are engaged for an hour and I have to look like, you know, you can see my face right now, but people listen can't. But <laughs> no, someone's it's sitting. Right. It's totally It's right. so hard. By the time your eyes rest, your, your body rest, you're just, you're spent. And then I have to go back to work after an hour meeting of sitting upright and looking so intensely at the screen. And you wonder why people are so exhausted. Well, I just did that for an hour and now I'm expected to do deliverables after a meeting. Of course I'm exhausted, you know, so um, you got to be mindful, like, are my team away? Not, you don't have to apologize sometimes for your stress environment, sometimes the work, but are you giving recovery time? Are you mindful of recovery? You know, I love the recovery kind of metaphor as someone who's always been into athletics my whole life. If you go and work out eight hour a day, you'll do that for mm-hmm. two days. And by day three, you'll be injured. Like the, yeah. the body doesn't work that way. You have to, you talk to any athlete, food, sleep, nutrients, water. Oh yes. And I have a really good workout, but it's really intensely focused on what, you know, provide the stimulus, but then you have to let your body recover. And mm. in so many things, you're right. I, I, I like that analogy because you can't do it all the time. It's not sustainable, but if you want mm-hmm. results, recovery and a good night's sleep is actually kind of one of the best solutions in fit in health and fitness or even weight right? loss for that matter. But in work, we don't give it the same level mm. of respect. No. Cause you know, what do we say yeah. to ourselves? I'm going to multitask. Multitasking is the biggest BS ever, Tyler, because <laughs> the magic crystal ball to productivity. And I'm going to tell you, your your, um, your listeners, the biggest bomb of today. One, thing is multitasking is a myth and this is why because it's not about how many tasks i do at the same time it's how quick you can refocus so if i'm sitting here i'm typing away i'm doing work i'm in deep mode my cat jumps on the table or something happens the wind blows you look outside and you look back at your computer how fast can you recover that five second motion of looking away and refocus because it'll take you up to 60 seconds to seven minutes to refocus. It's not about productivity or how long you can take on an action, it's how fast you can recover refocusing. That is productivity. That is the silver bullet is how fast you can refocus back to your work. Because if you have Instagram and you just been doom, we call it doom scrolling, which is where we did a lot of that. Doom scrolling is a term we use when we binge bad news. And that's what we did all of 2020. That's doom scrolling. You just finished binging bad news. You rolled over, looked at your phone. You already feel negative because you got an email, um, you know, back before Trump tweeted something, you know, something about COVID came out. You're already in a bad mood. How hard is it for you to refocus and get back to work? You know, so you got to think about, well, how do I protect my energy? How do I protect my work? How do I refocus? That is what the key to productivity is, is the ability to refocus quickly. I love that. And I love the concept. If you think about our bodies at a primal level, you see bad news 
at some level that can ignite a fight or flight and you have a level of cortisol that comes into your system, which is designed to get you to act a certain way. And it's typically not focusing on a productive task in front of you. So also you're battling these chemicals. You know, I do love it. If you boil down the body to a certain extent and we don't want to get too complicated, it is a series of hormonal responses that cause outcomes. And those are pretty ingrained in our lizard brains from X amount of years of like, oh, this is bad news. I better run away. If you're doing that during your day, your body doesn't recognize that that email that was maybe slightly negative wasn't a tiger jumping out of the woods. So you get that same response. And I think we really underestimate that these little tiny drops of like minuscule amounts of hormones that move through our system, they're often driving. We, so we need to control what what stimuluses are allowed to, 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 to mm. initiate those responses. And, you know, a negative email is a fight or flight response, even though mm. death is not imminent, but your body, your, your primal brain doesn't know the difference. Doesn't I, you know. Know. I'm going down another rabbit hole here, but I think it's a real thing no. to talk about how do you manage that. You know what you said? You said fight, flight. And you know what? Another trauma trigger that I just learned this year that no one talks about is fawn, which is another trauma trigger. Do you know that one? No, is that fight, more the- flight, Fawn. Yeah. Do you know that one? I wonder okay. if you know. No, I, do, I, I don't. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm already imagining what it means, but I'm jumping to the end. So please tell me. <laughs> I didn't know this. And I was like, wow, this is totally people I know. And maybe you have them in your company. I'm going to really highlight these people because these are the people who are working for you. We know the fight or flight people, but the phone people are like, yes, Tyler, you need this? Absolutely. I'm going to get that done. What do they do? Instead of reacting, they're like, nothing to see here. Um, uh, I'm going to take care of it. The people pleasers. So I hope yep. I'm calling out anyone listening here when they get something that's stressing them out, when they're having their boundaries taken over and they don't say no, they don't fight or flight. They just go into people pleasing. And I find that women are socialized to do that. Um, a lot of women might be like oh i'm gonna do it i think maybe you had men because they had a men role that's their role to like pick up the slack and then and a phone is another trauma reaction where they don't acknowledge fight or flight They're like let me just gloss over and let me just do what needs to be done and i think you need to recognize those people in your teams because they're not doing their self-abandoning and they're not doing a good job of saying what they need and they're taking their stress levels up i'm the supporting role i'm the person who gets all the stuff and i do it and they have the busy badge and they're yep. proud of their busy badge. <laughs> the busy badge, yes. Right? And phone is a whole nother trauma trigger that people um, mm-hmm. use a lot that I don't think is as obvious as fight or flight. It's very much the people who are the happy people who, are, who don't want to address anything. I'll fix it. Nothing to see here. That's um, another trauma trigger. And those are also the individuals in your company that all of a sudden come to you and they're burnt out or they resign mm-hmm. or they, and you're like, what? I, like you had you no didn't idea tell because me. everything looked fine. Fu- everything looked quote unquote fine. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I had not heard that and I wouldn't have, uh, yeah, that, that my description is more like almost the freeze in place, but that's what you're doing rather than you're just going, yeah, everything's great versus, you know, the per- the fight or flight is much more dramatic <laughs> and yeah. theatrical sometimes. So it shows up. <laughs> yeah. So no one thinks about that. I think if you're going to have yeah. a space with digital wellness in mind, um, any, any, Clients I work with or teams, we do personality tests like Myers-Briggs and Enneagram are the thing. Do you do an Enneagrams? I have not. I have had a few (gasps) friends send it to me. I have not done it formally. No. No, this is a team thing. It's so interesting because what makes Enneagrams really interesting because it's how people respond to stuff. So I'm an eight. I'm a challenger. So if you have me on my team, you're like Cheetos, one of the people who are going to be championing for something. So I think of Emily who's on your team. I think she must be a challenger because she's like social justice. She's the person who's going to be She certainly challenges me, which is part of the cornerstone of our relationship. Right? <laughs> and those are great people to have in your team. Like you should know, instead of saying, oh my God, this is the person who has resistance. I welcome the diversity of I want somebody with all the six decision-making hats, which is another concept I use with teams in that we have people in our teams who are the logical thinkers, the critical thinkers, the empathy thinkers. And when we're doing um, brainstorming, it's like, okay, everyone put on the black hat. I need logical answers right now. Okay, we need emotional ones. We need the white hat. And it's getting people to understand critical thinking, not just where you see problem solving. Like, I'm a logistic person. I'm an analytical. You should challenge people saying, okay, let's take off that hat. Can we all wear the same hat? Because this needs an emotional response. This needs a logical. And it helps people come out of themselves to think differently. So I love those kind of activities. Well, behavioral flexibility and the ability to, to kind of pull a different tools off the shelf, but just the exercise yeah. and the freedom to be, because you're right. Sometimes it's a story we tell, well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm this, I'm an analytical thinker. So therefore this is my answer. Well, yes, mm-hmm. but you are also functional and adult and you have the ability to 
just sometimes hallucinate other ideas. Like, let's just for fun, let's make up what it would be like if you weren't an analytical thinker. And that possibility language and drawing people, it's also very inclusive, slightly uncomfortable, but it's all how you do it versus going, ah, we don't need that kind of thinking right now. That's very negative and that's very closing versus trying to open up other avenues. I really like that. So we're really talking about, back to our original conversations, it's about inclusion and belonging and then understanding the role that digital plays, but really what are our cultures and it's like everything in, in our world, it just becomes more complicated. You know, like mm-hmm. the, I always joke, radio did not replace newspaper. TV did not replace the first two. Internet did It just made it more complicated and more options. And Slack and Zoom and email and Teams mm-hmm. and Google Hangouts and text and WhatsApp. It just made it more complicated, which then as individuals, we're still the same humans kind of, you know, bouncing our way through all of these, all of these different tools. Absolutely. And you want to look at your social media, your tech as, is it giving you social capital and social support? So when I say social capital, I'm like LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a social capital. It gets you job. Being on LinkedIn is maybe on some professional sites that is capitalizing your social presence. So that's maybe a social media tool. You're like, hey, that makes sense, right? Um, I'm, I'm connecting with people in my work, thought leadership, and there's social support where that's Instagram, Facebook, because that's community. And the reason why Generation Zers are actually doing well in COVID and actually have a very different take from millennials and boomers on social media is that they're looking at it from social support. Um, Certain of them are looking at it not as a social comparison, which is a way of somewhere we go to. We compare. Someone just had a six-figure launch. Someone just started a business. Someone just had a baby. If that's what is triggering you when you look at Instagram or Twitter, know your triggers. You're going through a social comparison. But maybe hearing someone is having a baby, having a house, you're like, wow, that's social support. I can do that. So, oh, I can you know have that kind of life. So how are you coming towards your social media? Is it a social comparison standpoint or is it social capital? So millennials have done a good job of doing that because they were raised with it, right? I mean, um, Zers, because they were raised with it. They look very much at their social media like social support than comparison, right? So we, if you are someone with a teenager or someone younger, and you're like, put your phone away, stop using your phone. It's like they're a different generation. They are uh, very much using it for support because depression is actually actually went down during quarantine with um, teenagers because they were getting more sleep. The reason why people are stressed is because of the sleep. So a lot of them were just rolling over and going to class. So they were getting more sleep and spending more time with their family, which actually helped depression go down and it wasn't the social media thing like oh social media is um, hacking into their brains social media plays a very big part in their in their lives as a social support than a social comparison for others and anything they actually acclimated very well um during um, quarantine which was actually a very interesting fact that i found when people were talking about social media's role for um, teenagers and youth during quarantine, it was like actually played a very good role in keeping people connected, especially now they're having more sleep <laughs> and they're with their families. So um, contrary to that belief that social media is making our mental health very poor, um, we got to challenge it. Like it's our behavior to it. Um, I think Nira makes a good example of the bicycle being a tool. And at the time the bicycle came out, women couldn't ride. They're like, it's going to make you infertile. It's going to make women muscular. Women should not ride the bicycle. It's going to be so problematic. The same has been happening with social media. It's so bad for our <laughs> that's, an inter- that's an interesting comparison. Right? Different centuries. But yeah. this was yeah, the... No, similar. It's the bicycle of the 1800. It's social media. It's like the bicycle. It's the doom. It's the doom. And um, I'm hoping that, it's that people get um, empowered because I want us to take our power back. And I think the stories we tell ourselves are very important. And you have the power. You just have to know yourself because if you do have an addictive personality, you just using, um, if you love coffee and you do like smoking or something, you got to know, hey, I've got an addiction of personality. Social media is just another way. My brain is tapping into something to distract me and I just know my behavior. I think that's something we all just have to reflect on a little better. Taking the time to know yourself and understanding, and you said it right from the beginning, how is this, what's your individual journey and not to compare? And I love what the information you brought up about teens through COVID because it's so easy to just vilify social media. Like you're never wrong to shit on social media, quote unquote, because, mm-hmm. but at the same time, really understanding, but there's a lot of people that were probably critical of bicycles in the 1800s. That's a really interesting comparison to yeah. <laughs> So we've left people thinking about 
they're being more self-aware all of a sudden. They've listened to this great episode. They're looking at their phone a little bit differently. From your perspective, I love how you like to group things, three steps, four steps. What would be the first step for someone listening to this podcast so that they want to get off and maybe do something different mm-hmm. even today or start to take stock? What would you recommend? I love to play games like what would your ideal day look like? And I think very few times if someone paints the ideal day, it's not looking at their phone. They wouldn't say that, right? It's not checking like your email at seven in the morning. You're totally right. Right? It'll be going to the beach, hanging out. And if that's the picture you want to paint, um, when you look at your habits, where is your tech taking you away from being present? We call it fubbing when someone looks at their phone and at a coffee table. You know, we play games with our friends. The first person to look at their phone is the fubber at the table or it's paying the check. How can we... Um, give more attention to our attention, intention to our attention. How can we be more present? Because that's the, that's what everyone's fighting for. The attention economy, all these apps is everyone's fighting for our eyeballs and our attention. The attention economy is a very real thing. And where to to understand, is it getting you, is it getting you the outcome you want? If if it's giving you parts of your ideal day and that's what you enjoy, then that's great. It's when it's not, but having a bit of a a mental scorecard of understanding when it is and when it isn't just Mm -hmm. from a self-awareness, not, not with a criticism, just awareness. Mm -hmm. So I know when I'm in IRL in real life with somebody being present is the most beautiful thing now. I can give. I love that you have an acronym for being for, for, for in real life. That's awesome. <laughs> That's a term, Tyler. You learned something new. IRL. I, I was in a, I love it. Are we meeting online or IRL? So I try to give that and not let this tool. That's why I talk me. to you, Cheeto, so I can be cooler after You're and I know so some cool. more I know some I better terms. I love it. So I paint a picture of how my distract how my tech is distracting that picture of yeah. being present with my family, being present with my friends. And you know, putting boundaries like if I have a day where I'm not on my tech, I'll, if you have an iPhone, I think Android may have this. You can have a responder saying, hey, I'm away. Even telling your team saying, hey, I have a response saying, hey, I'm away right now. And don't have a, don't say a personal day saying, I'm just doing something for myself. Like actually be a selfish thing. It's like I'm offline right now. I'm enjoying outside and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Like actually tell people you're doing that. Because what happens when people get my message, like, wow, you gave me permission to go and do the same. Don't, I didn't say I'm having really a personal powerful. day. And people just want permission saying, well, that was so real. You didn't say I'm having a personal day. I can't come to the phone. Like, no, I'm doing something so selfish. And we actually rewarding refueling behavior. We are rewarding our team saying, I'm going to go and get my hair done and nails done. Great. Like actually say that, like I'm taking, I think a great place to say, this is what we foster saying, Hey, we actually want to know you to say what you're doing. And it can be something so selfish. Um, within reason, they may say it might be a medical thing, but saying, Hey, I'm having a day just to do absolutely uh, of, nothing of today. Yeah. You know, put that on your signature. And cause if your team and your, your, your clients say like, wow, this is a company that's really telling people to have refuel time. And I can say as a, as a team and a culture, we value that because when you're refueled, you show up differently. You're going to be happy to work here when you have had time to be with your family, to exercise, to take care of your health. You're going to be so happy working for us and you're going to work so much better. I don't think companies and teams are thinking of that, that it's not the tech, it's not the mental health. It's us making sure people ha- are heard. Even doing those personality tests, we're like, we know you, we understand that your triggers, like, I know you and we want to make our workplace um, uh, a happy place. And we take in digital wellness as a very key pillar. It's not about paying for your gym or your massages, which you get at the insurance. It's us having this ecosystem that supports refueling and taking care of your, your wellness. And right now, our tech is very much part of it. And we acknowledge that. Well, I really like what you just touched on. We won't go down this rabbit hole, but like employee wellness and like, here's some benefits and things we pay for. That's very different than what's the culture here. And what do we, what do we allow permission? Okay, great. We allow you a $500 to go to a massage therapist, but are we okay if you do it at two in the afternoon on a Tuesday? Like there's a very big difference in then setting up a, a, you know, a, a, a financial structure that allows compensation for things versus what we're actually okay with and what we signal we're okay with. And I think that's really nice to differentiate those two things. Employee wellness isn't just a plan that has X amount per month per per health healthcare provider yeah. it's there done our job. but what do you yeah what yeah yes <laughs> oh we're gonna work you so we, we, hard we Tyler. Checked, we checked the box <laughs> right oh we're gonna work you so hard that you need that massage like oh you're too busy to even take the massage which i think is often sometimes like, <laughs> I, I, I have unlimited vacation. vacation but i have no time to take it <laughs> yeah, right? those stories have been around for years Chido, I appreciate it. And what I'm hearing, and I'll fill in my own blanks as, 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 as a company owner and as a leader, leading by example, 
you know, putting out those little things, giving permissibility to like, hey, everybody, no problem. Like, let's let's take the strength and say it. Be intentional. Hey, let's make it easier for everybody. If you're not talking, turn off your camera. It's okay. Like, it's mm-hmm. 100% because we want you to be able to enjoy this information without getting off the call, feeling extra burnt out because you were on a yet, yet another Zoom call. Like, it was amazing mm-hmm. technology that allowed us to function. But like anything, we've got to get a handle on it and understand if it's going to be part of our world ongoing, we need to renegotiate our relationship with it. That's, yeah. that's what I'm taking away from everything you said today. Let's I'm normalize saying, I'm, I've got Zoom fatigue, guys. I'm going to take it off. Let's actually normalize even someone being honest and team saying, hey, guys, it's okay. I'm, I'm getting really exhausted. I'm going to turn off my camera and say, yes, anyone's experiencing Zoom fatigue today because you had so many calls this week. Turn off your phone. Even using those words, people are like, oh, wow, you're acknowledging that Zoom fatigue is a thing and it's a Friday and it's end of the week and people probably had X amount of calls. This is going to be a screenless one, even adding those words and giving people permission. And we just want permission. And it comes from leaders high up HR saying, we, we talking in this way. We using words like this. We understand working home is challenging. Don't check, please. No one check, check, send emails unless they're urgent important after 5 PM, unless it's project based and people need that answer, but boomerang them, let them have them first thing in the morning. Like let's normalize that behavior. So people are not like, Oh, emails. I gotta, I gotta check it. You know, so many people, I think they said something like 67% of people are checking emails after 11 o'clock. Right before they sleep and already your your brain is, is thinking about everything you need to do because I just looked at my emails before I go to bed. Am I sleeping, Tyler? No. Yeah, which everything goes against the, the pre-sleep ritual and you know, all the reading that's been yeah. out on that. And yes, the last thing you should do, one, is stare at a screen, two, get a piece of information that might cause you a degree of anxiety because it's going to impact your sleep. Yeah. Back to fight or flight right before bed is a bad strategy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> fight, flight, so, or fawn. Fight, yeah. flight, or fawn. I'm gonna add that, I'm gonna add that in. Add that one. And so what I do, I do a worry time. I learned this from the con app, which I really love, and they like do a worry time. Don't check, don't get worried, because what happens when we go to sleep, we start worrying. Because uh, your brain is now slowing down. So you start worrying about your kids, your health, what are you going to cook for the dinner party next week? And they say, like, have a time in the day where you sit down and you write down your worry list. And then when you're going to sleep, you're not worrying. Like, your brain is like, I've already thought about these things. I've compartmentalized. We only worry when we're going to bed because that's the time we've given our brain permission to slow down. And then everything else in the background starts to come into play. So actually having a worry time or whatever you want to call it, like a brain dump time. So you tell yourself, this is time to sleep. Let's shut off now. It's a really good ritual. Uh, the theme I'm taking out of everything is the ability or the, the need and the, and the freedom that comes from being deliberate. Like if I'm setting up worry time, what am I doing this time? It's okay. Like, and plus it gives you permission and mm-hmm. you write it down and you get it out of your head, which we've all heard. And I think we've all know that that's a thing, but being deliberate about it and, mm-hmm. you know, building that into your day. That's uh, permissibility and also intent and exactly. it's amazing how it creates different outcomes because no, we know really we should journal perspective but we don't know yes. why we're journaling i'm journaling to not <laughs> journal so i can sleep like i journal because i don't want to think about this when i sleep so i know journaling is not this woo-woo mindset like no i'm journaling so i don't have to think about it when i'm with my family so if you're somebody's like i don't sit and eat with my family because i'm on my phone maybe during that time you're saying i'm actually doing this task so when I'm having dinner with my family, we're talking instead of me being, I got to go to my desk. So I know the, the, the reason behind my journal time is my worry time. So I don't do that. So even saying, why am I doing this? How is it is fitting in, in my overall wellness? People just say I'm journaling because that's what people tell me to do. But you're not saying, why is this working my life and how is it fitting in my intention? Like you're saying, like intentionality. Well, I like what you said about setting setting the vision of what that day is. And it's so easy to should, should all over yourself. I should be journaling. I should put my phone down. Why? Well, actually, because it's keeping me away from my ideal state. And because mm-hmm. I've taken the time to identify that, I now have a reference point. Because, man, you can should all over yourself all day long. And, yeah. and it just creates more pressure. Oh, I should, I should, or I didn't, or I can't. But I literally love the comparing it against, is this getting me closer or further away from my ideal state? Mm-hmm. That becomes the filter versus the shoulds. Or your friend did it, so then you should do it. But it might not be anything to do with the way you, your brain works. <laughs> I love that. You said it so eloquently. I loved it. Uh, Cheeto, I always enjoy our conversation. Give me so much to think about. And um, the feeling of, 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 
The ability to be better in small little incremental bites makes it so much more achievable than this overwhelming state of like some mythical perfection, which again, our society is, whether it's fitness or how you feel about yourself physically, emotionally, there's always some some view of it versus actually creating your own view and being on your on, on your own TV screen of what you want to see back to you. And I think it takes a lot of discipline because the world can conspire to create that comparison. I really like the connection versus comparison in terms of how different groups use the tool. Mm-hmm. And when you compare and feel, oh, I'm not good enough versus like, oh, my friend this, and now I feel connected to them. That was a really interesting filter I hadn't put on. I'm going to look at my social media with a slightly different hume now, maybe when I yeah. do, just to test it. Be deliberate about thinking about those two. Totally. Those two. They're very different outcomes of how you're going to feel after. <laughs> Absolutely. If you look into Instagram feel, feed, it makes you feel a certain kind of way. You know that's you. Take it off. Take off certain people you're following. Don't look at it. If I'm not in a space where I'm like, I'm going to just you know, compare myself all day. If I see anything and, and I'm mindful of that, I'm going to make a choice. Like, you know what? Today's not a good day. And then some days I'm, I'm by nature, want to cheer people on and I'm looking to be a social support, not a comparison. So like intention, intention, and just knowing your triggers. I think our life journey as humans is just to know um, who we are and unpack a lot of our childhood traumas. Um, we, you and I had a conversation previous about identity and self-awareness. I think that's a lifelong journey as humans. If we can do a good job of that, I think we'd just be more happier if we just understood ourselves and respected ourselves and didn't self-abandon ourselves or have codependency. Um, we'd just be better humans. And that's what we're all trying to do is be the best version of ourselves. And social media tech amplifies that because we have so much access now. We have so much access to compare that our great-grandparents didn't have that much comparison because they didn't have access to so much information. So that's no, they, had their town or, they had their town or their village or their... Yeah, that one Joneses, we have alive. millions of Joneses. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? Yes, the, compare, compare yourself to the Joneses and the Joneses refinance. And then all of a sudden, yeah, there's all those jokes. But you're right. We have, we have hundreds and hundreds in our lives. Uh, Cheeto, always an inspiring conversation. Uh, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? I, I encourage anyone to reach out. I love our <laughs> conversations. They're the best. I right? love it. Um, my website is cheetosamantha.com. If you slash digital wellness, you can find all my articles I've written on digital wellness. And as well as anyone's interested in doing the digital wellness cert- certification, please DM me on LinkedIn or Instagram. Um, a lot of them will have my my affiliate link to the program, which is, uh, I think it just launched, but the next cohort. So if you're in um, education, um, wellness, mental health, social worker, um, a lot of people in um, HR, anyone who works with people who are trying to really um, make this be known in their, in, their, in their communities or teams, this is a great, great skill set to have in your toolbox for yourself, or if you want to apply it to your family, your household, um, it's always great to have somebody who is always bringing this kind of um, awareness to the table. So um, let me know if you're interested in the certification happy to jump on a call and um, share with what I know, but I've written quite a few articles on Medium on my journey, my digital wellness journey. So um, you can definitely read a lot about it there. I encourage everyone to go check it out. You're great. You're a great, you're an eloquent speaker and you're also a great writer. So I encourage anyone to go and consume some of that content and Hey, guess what? Digital wellness, not going away anytime soon. Oh no! <laughs> Let's hope it just continues on the rise. Yeah. Three pillars of health, right? We got diet, physical, digital wellness is the next pillar that we're going to be doing in it. And as quick as we do it, when you, if you're having children, you're going to have that awareness. I think people even have kids yeah. are thinking of how am I bringing kids up with tech in a mindful um, place where there is social capital, social support um, in the way they use tech. So it's not just stays with us. It's going to be fostering for um, so many generations to use it better than we have. Cause we were thrown into the wolves with technology. Yes, we, are, yes. we know better. Use your, so use, your, use, your bicycle, use your bicycle for good, not for evil. <laughs> yes, it should be the quality. And if you want to understand the bicycle reference, let us into the episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Chido, thank you so much for another you know, enlightening, intriguing, and thought-provoking conversation. Always a pleasure. Oh, thank you for having me, Tyler. It's always so good to see you.